Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andy. Thank you to our musicians, and thank you for all of the favorites tonight. Well, what a day that will be. Aren't you looking forward to it? Amen. It is so good to see this good crowd here tonight. It is so important that we meet together as a church family and sing together, give testimonies, and hear God's word. And we so appreciate seeing all of you here tonight. If you would turn with me to Psalm 19, Psalm 19. We've been talking about dealing with doubt. And sometimes we tend to think, and maybe you've heard this before, if only God would give enough evidence, then people would believe. Well, my friend, God has given all the evidence that he needs to give. For people to know of his existence, of his power, and then he has also given to man his special revelation that he might know how to be saved. That's not something you can know by natural revelation, but it is something that you can know through God's word. But what we're going to talk about tonight is about God's natural revelation and how, <clears throat> how God speaks, how he is not silent. And so in Psalm 19 and verse 1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, or the sky, the atmosphere, showeth his handiwork, or the work of his hands. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Tonight I want to encourage your heart by reminding you of the greatness of our Creator and the fact that He has spoken. But I also want to remind you of what we are up against as we witness to unbelievers, especially in this society today. And it's something that we cannot ignore, but there's an answer to it. <clears throat> there is a reason why men reject the truth, and it's Perhaps not for the reasons that you think. But before we go on, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that you have truly revealed yourself to us. And Lord, you were under no obligation to do so. But you have done so out of your grace and out of your mercy. And we thank you for it. We thank you for your great and wondrous creation, which testifies to your power and your existence, your divine nature. And Lord, we pray that as we consider these verses tonight, Lord, that we would also be reminded of the rebelliousness of the human heart 
and how only you can break the chains of sin. And so guide our study tonight as we look at these verses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God speaks through what he has created. I want you to notice what Psalm 19 says about God's creation. And primarily it's talking about the sky. We see the sun during the day. We see the moon and the stars at night. But we can look at all creation and see God's power and His design. I want you to notice, number one, that that message that God is giving through His creation is unmistakable. And I'm going to unfold this as we go. Now that doesn't mean that men don't deny it, because they do, and we, we understand that. But still, the Bible itself says that God's revelation is unmistakable. And we're going to look at that later in the book of Romans. But the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows His design. It shows the work of His hands. I want you to turn with me to another passage. And we see that this is true about us, about our human bodies. Psalm 139, very, very famous passage. And the psalmist starts out in this way, that he is fearfully and wonderfully made in verse 14. And that is the basis of his praise. And then he goes on in verse 13 and he describes how God knows him intimately inside and out. And why shouldn't he? God is the one who created us. Look in verse 13. The Bible says, For thou, God, has possessed my reins. What does that mean? Well, the word reins refers to our internal organs, literally. It means that God made all of the delicate inner parts of our body. There's no way that we would have time to go into the design of the human body, how God has designed each part to fulfill a specific function. But the psalmist goes on to say that you covered me in my mother's womb. And what this means is you actually knit me together in my mother's womb. As if someone was weaving a cloth on a loom. And this is what they would do in Bible times. But what does that suggest to you? Well, it suggests purpose and design. It means that we did not just crawl out of a primordial ooze millions of years ago. There wasn't just a lightning strike that hit a primordial soup and brought out of it a one-celled animal, and from that we came. But instead, we were made, we were created by God. That is the teaching of the Scriptures. And so he goes on in verse 14, and he says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. I don't want us to miss the application here. 
If you're wondering if God cares about you, He's the one who made you. He's the one, ultimately, who brought you into this world. And that means that He does have a purpose for you. The psalmist goes on, though, to say this, My substance, verse 15, was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. In other words, when I was in my mother's womb, and when this process takes place, of course, it's not seen to the outside world. Now, we have instruments such as ultrasound, which can provide a window into this. But basically, when you're being formed in your mother's womb, you are in total seclusion. You are in total darkness. And yet God was there. He watched each person being formed. Let me stop here and say this. Life begins at conception. And it is no more lawful to kill an unborn baby than it would be to kill a three-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 30-year-old. That unborn baby is a person made in God's image. It is not an animal or a clump of cells. And we see this very, very clearly in this passage. God is aware of that little one in the womb. And he, the psalmist says, wove me together in the darkness of the womb. Verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. Now, unperfect means unformed. God, you saw me before I was fully developed. And then he says this, and I, I love this passage. In thy book, all my members were written. Now, we can take this in several ways, but I think what he's saying is, Every day of your life was recorded by God. God knows the day of your birth, and he knows the day of your death. You see, God is sovereign over all things. That's sobering, isn't it? God knows the day that we're going to die. If the Lord doesn't return before that, he knew us on the day of our birth. You see, all of our days are laid out by him. When I went to my grandmother's, one of the things that I loved to do was to see her photo albums. There's probably people in here who have no idea what photo albums are. But my mom did the same thing. And so she would have these huge three-ring binders full of pictures, and my mother would arrange those chronologically. I mean, almost by the month, because she loved to take pictures. Uh, my mom had a streak of mischief in her. Oftentimes at church dinners, she would take pictures of people while they were eating. So they would have their, their mouth open about to eat something, and she would you know, snap the picture, and she thought that was hilarious. But, uh, you know, I still see these pictures. You know, it's, it's a good time as I go through these. But to think that God has your whole life mapped out before you ever live it, does that not give you a sense of comfort? I hope so. Boy, Christians with long faces. 
Eeyore Christians, we could call them. Woe is me. Everything is bad. Everything is wrong. What a tragedy to live that way if you're a child of God. You see, God knows the end from the beginning. He had your life planned out. It's not as if he's left you alone. He has a purpose and a plan for you. Every moment of your life was planned out before even one day passed. God is totally in control. You see, that message is unmistakable. The heavens declare it. All creation declares it. The wonders of the human body declare the glory of God. But not only that, the message is unceasing. It is unceasing. Verse 2, day unto day uttereth speech. And you may want to underline that word uttereth. It actually means pour forth. Think of it as the bubbling of a fountain or a spring. Revelation continually bubbles up. It continually pours forth. It's there for all to see. It's undeniable. It's unmistakable. It is unceasing. And we see this in all of the variety of God's creation, which reflects his design. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 8. He said, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is he led to say? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Every time I go up in an airplane, I have this experience. I don't know if you do as well. But you start to go up, and I'm always fascinated to watch as the plane goes up and up, because I see the cars get smaller and smaller. And yes, the big semi-trucks. And I can remember in the year 2000, my wife and I were flying back from Rome, and, and we saw the Twin Towers. Now, this was in 2000. And the sun was just coming up in New York. And... It looked like two dominoes. You could even see the shadows from the sun, but they were like two little dominoes on the horizon. And we went up and up, and then they disappeared entirely. You couldn't see a thing. I think it's good for us to get that perspective and to think that God cares about us. This earth is a little speck of dust in this universe. And yet God sent his son to die for us because he loved us. The psalmist says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And friends, God is mindful of us. He is constantly watching over us. He is not a clockwinder God who winds up the machine and then goes his way. But he is intimately involved in creation, intimately involved in our lives, whether it be providential, the providential or the miraculous, God is always involved in his creation. 
why are thou mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him, why would you notice tiny little man and woman? Why would you care for them? Well, because that's the type of God that he is. He's our creator. We're made in his image. All around us, we see the complexity of God's design. We see his power. We see the care with which he made us. We see God's awesomeness when we look at the sky. Have you ever wondered how many stars are there? One astronomer estimates that there are about 100 million stars in the average galaxy. 100 million. Now, you'll probably get different answers from other astronomers because, frankly, I don't think they know. I mean, how many of them sit around counting, you know, up to 100 million? But it's probably a good estimate with the instruments that they have. But then, on October... In October of 2016, deep-field images from the Hubble Space Telescope, you remember the near-sighted telescope or the far-sighted scope, whatever it was? It uh, didn't see very well at first, but uh, images there suggested that there are about two trillion galaxies. So imagine each of those galaxies, two trillion, each of those with a hundred million stars. It gives you some ideas of some idea of how many stars there are. But you know, now we have the James Webb Space Telescope. That's a hundred times stronger than the Hubble. And now they're seeing even more. It's sort of like the lights coming on. Well, let's go from a telescope because we as we see in the, with the telescope, we see all of these things, the wonders of God's creation unfold. And then we go to a microscope and we start to look at things that we can't see with the naked eye. Did you know, now you probably won't want to know this fact, okay, but the number of living organisms on your skin is about 1.5 trillion there are about one and a half trillion little critters on your skin. Makes me start itching, okay? And you know they're on your eyelids, they're on your hands, they're on your arms, they're all over. And actually we need these to be healthy. God designed even that. But there's an entire world that we can't even see. And they have their electron microscopes, and they look further, and they look further, and it just seems unbounded. The glory of God. My friends, is the message not unceasing? It bubbles forth, it pours forth how great God is. It's unmistakable, it's unceasing, but then, number three, it's universal. It goes to all people. In verse 3, it says this, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This is the glory of God in creation. 
the glory of God in creation. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. Verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. So the testimony of creation is universal. It sends a message, not one that is composed in human language, obviously, but one that is nonetheless universally understood. It doesn't matter where a person is on the face of the earth. They can know that there's a God. And isn't it interesting that when you go to remote places, people who have never had the Bible... They still have the idea of God. Now, they have twisted it and perverted it because that's how all of us as human beings do. They craft false gods of their own, but yet still they are aware that there is a power that is transcendent, that is above them, beyond their capabilities. They have that sense, even though they've never heard of a Bible. That message is universal. And then in particular, we have the Son, a universal witness to God's might. And there are several images here. The psalmist compares it to a bridegroom, a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. You can just see this in your mind. A bridegroom is radiant, his face is radiant, he is happy after his wedding. And then there's another picture. It rejoices like an athlete that is eager to run the race. He's ready. He's confident. He's powerful. He's strong. That's the next comparison. And then another comparison is, again, like a runner, or we could say a chariot. It rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Now, the Bible here is speaking in metaphors, and it's using the language of appearance. And we still do this today. We talk about the sun rising and setting. We know it doesn't literally do this, but that's the way we talk about it. And that's the way the Bible speaks about it as well. It's a figure of speech, but it says that it's like a chariot running its circuit from one end of the heavens to the other. And nothing can hide from its heat. The sun itself is a witness. It is a universal testimony to the greatness of God. But just to show you how man can pervert the greatness of God, what have most men done throughout the ages with the sun? Well, they worshipped it. They worship it. And it doesn't end there. We're not just talking about traditional people. But why would someone reject God with all of this evidence? And friends, I want to get this across to you. There is no such thing as an atheist. A person may claim to be so. But I can prove to you on the basis of Scripture that he's either crazy 
or he has deceived himself. There's no other way to explain it. I want you to turn with me to Romans 1. Romans 1. Romans 1.18. We have this fearsome verse where God starts to withdraw himself from individuals and from civilizations that reject him. And it's talking specifically about Gentile civilization. But in Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And the passage will unfold how God reveals that, how he demonstrates it, and he does so by withdrawing himself and giving people over to their passions, their depraved passions. But his wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold, and that word means that they suppress. The idea here is that they press something down. Do you have a drawer at home that keeps popping open? Well, there's no more irritating thing in the world than that, right? There's always this drawer that keeps on popping open, and you, know, you slam it shut. You pretty much have to nail it shut. Well, it's something like that. They are suppressing it. They are holding it down. It's constantly trying to get out, but they don't want to let it out. And that's the knowledge of God. Notice this. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest where? In them. It's innate. They know there's a God. Now that is, that is the testimony of Scripture. For God hath showed it unto them. If you want to be even clearer, we could say it this way. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. Let's go forward. Verse 20. For the invisible things of Him, He Himself can't be seen but the works of his hands can be seen, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And what are those things? Even his eternal power and Godhead. That word Godhead means his divine nature, that he is transcendent, that he is all-powerful. And then the next word, so that they are what? Without excuse. Without excuse. They can see God's invisible qualities through everything he has made. His power, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now think of the scientist. He sees all of the evidence. In fact, he knows so much more than we do because that's his living. Such men are very, very intelligent according to the standards of this world. They're professionals. That's what they study. That's their area. But even so, not all of them, but many of them deny what they see. They deny the witness within themselves. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. 
In other words, they refused to give him the honor he deserved. You say, what does that mean, to honor God? Well, it has to do with the way you live your life. But we could also say it this way, it involves worship, formal worship. We ascribe to God what belongs to Him. We honor Him. He is the center of our lives. We take seriously what He has said in His Word. It is the Word of God. It has absolute authority. God is not someone who is just tacked on to my life if I have time for Him. Because He is my Creator. And beyond that, He's the only one who can redeem me. Why would I not make Him the center of my life? He gives me my marching orders. He's not just my co-pilot. He should be the pilot. He should be telling me what direction to go. That's what we mean by giving God glory and giving Him worship. Now, there are a lot of people in this world today, and they are religious, and, and they'll give lip service to God. There are people who claim to be Christians. But in the end, they're not really that serious about it. They don't have a personal relationship with Him. They don't give Him the glory that He deserves. Paul goes on and says they refuse to be thankful to Him. God takes that seriously. You know, we think of thanksgiving as something that's for little kids and for thanksgiving. Thankfulness is a mark of a true child of God. Instead of complaining and moaning and groaning all the time, we give thanks to God. It's not that we don't have any problems. Yes, there are things in our lives that are not as they should be because we live in a fallen world. It's not God's fault. But yes, there are things that don't always happen and don't always go like we want them to. But you see, it's, it's like this. When God grows so large and when we, when we see how much He has done for us, that ungrateful attitude starts to shrink more and more. And we begin to realize, we begin to grow more thankful to God. You know, it kind of happens like this. When you see someone who's a lot worse off than you are. That's one example. It's not like your problem disappears, but then you meet somebody who has an even bigger problem. And all of a sudden you say, Lord, thank you. God grows bigger and your problem grows smaller. That's what it means to be thankful day by day. And we keep this before us, but these people don't do that. They're not thankful to Him. In fact, they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. The Bible says they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. They turned to idols and false gods. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. So what do they do? Do they cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm confused and I'm, I'm helpless. I, I have turned to false religion. I've lost contact with you. Is that what they do? Well, look at the next step. Look at verse 22. 
They profess themselves to know everything, to be wise. Hey, I don't need God to tell me anything. Does this not characterize many of the famous scientists of our day? The Richard Dawkins and other such men? Oh, listen, if you're a Christian, you are the stupidest person in the world. You are stupid and ignorant and weak and it goes on and on. It's Romans 1 to a T. A man who has rejected God's revelation and yet he professes himself to be wise. Let me issue a warning because there are a lot of Christians, both young and old, and they want intellectual recognition from the world. And they're willing to do almost anything to get it. And I want to warn you against that. You'd better stay with Jesus and stay with His Word and what His Word says. Remember, they mocked Noah as well. They made fun of him. But then the floods came, the rains descended. Can you imagine what they were thinking at that point? Hey, the crazy guy knew what he was talking about. Why is that? Well, because he put his faith in the word of the Lord. It wasn't because Noah was a greater intellect, but it's because his faith had the right object. And my, fr- our, my friends, our faith has to have the right object as well. The Bible says that man's only hope is in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. The Bible says this, let me read verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He goes on to say that we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel in earthen or clay vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Our prayer tonight is, Lord, use me as your instrument, earthen vessel, clay jar that I am, Use me as your instrument for getting the gospel to others. Only God can shine the light of truth and bring salvation to men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your precious word. We thank you for that shine, for shining the light upon our own hearts. Lord, we know that we once were enemies of you. We were children of wrath, children of disobedience. But you looked upon us in grace. You sought us. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, you saved us. And we are so thankful to you. Help us to understand what we are up against as we witness in a lost and dying world. We first of all have to wrestle with the flesh for those who deny the truth that is within and the truth that they see in nature. Also, the devil has blinded the minds of people 
And then the world has its allurements. But Father, help us to stand holding forth your word. To be lights among a crooked and perverse generation. And we pray that you would use us as your instruments to bring many to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.